Today's scripture reading comes from select portions of Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 24. Verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for his charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or any man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. We are so glad 
that you are here to worship with us this morning. If this is your first time here or if you are uh, just visiting, um, just feel free afterwards, immediately after service. We would love to just get to know you guys a little bit more and um, plug you guys into the life of the church. And uh, just to keep you guys up to speed uh, this morning is we've been going through a sermon series on the Bible that we thought we knew. We've been going essentially through some of the more uh, popular uh, Bible passages that uh, many of us might be accustomed to, Christian or non-Christian. Um, and what we're trying to do um, in this series is uh, reread these stories, uh, but within uh, the light of a, a holistic gospel. Uh, so really just kind of penetrating uh, the, the, the centrality of Christ uh, into these scriptures and what that may mean for us personally, within the context of community, and for the sake of our city. I'm going to ask that you guys will join me in prayer this morning as we dive into the Word. Uh, Lord God, we come before you, Almighty King, and we praise you, Almighty King, Lord God, for you come down to us in servant form. So, Lord God, how can we not come in thanksgiving and worship for your name? And so, Lord God, at this time, Lord God, as you are speaking, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that you, uh, Lord God, will really just convict our hearts. And, Lord God, you will convict us of our sin, our brokenness, and really just, Lord, convict us, Lord God, of our need for you. And Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that you will fill this room with your Holy Spirit right now, Lord God, that we will hear you clearly. So Lord God, wherever we are within this room, Lord God, uh, you uh, will just really, really uh, be present right now, Lord God, for your word and on this day, for you are to be glorified. Uh, Lord God, may you use this time, may you use me, Lord, I desire uh, to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. So, Lord God, may you use me accordingly to your strength. We praise you. We thank you. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. In some shape or form, uh, we have all heard about uh, the lion's den. For most, uh, the lion's den is often metaphoric for uh, difficult circumstances. In our contemporary pop culture, uh, musicians such as Bruce Springsteen refers the lion de lion's den to a difficult dating relationship. If you grew up in the church, the lion's den is often known as this miraculous story where God protects his children from lions. But the lion's den narrative is far more complex than just a metaphor for dating relationships and is far more powerful than a story of protection against lions. See, this narrative that we heard, the lion's den, is during a time when God's people were separated from their homeland. When Jerusalem was defeated, the Babylonians took the whole professional class of Judah to Babylon, which included military officers, 
artists and scholars for the purpose of destroying the biblical culture of the Jews. Meaning, this lion's den narrative, this time for Daniel was a time, a period of oppression, injustice, and hostility against Daniel himself and the very people of God. But it would be through this persecution that Daniel would to be redeemed as one of the greatest examples of faith despite all that was against him. See, the Lion's Den narrative is more than just a moral tale of do's and don'ts. The Lion's Den narrative teaches us today on how the Christian is to live accordingly to one's faith, values, and character in a pluralistic society that is hostile towards the Christian faith. So I have four points for us today as we navigate through Daniel chapter 6. The person, the persecution, the prayer, and the peace. The first point, the person of Daniel. Verse 1, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. So to set some context of the lion's den, Darius is the new king of Babylon, and he had 120 satraps. Satraps were essentially, they were governors, they were representatives of the king. And Darius, this new king, he had three administrators to lead the satraps. And what we would immediately find out is that it would be extremely crucial that these representatives were of great character and great integrity. If you look at verse 2, they say that there was a concern that the king might not suffer loss. See, during these ancient times, it was common for these satraps to abuse their power. It was noted that they would often overcharge and overtax for services and underpay the king and pocket the difference. So Darius, he knew this, and he knew that this was a problem. So he was seeking, he was looking for three leaders of integrity and great character. And here we are introduced in verse 3 to one named Daniel. Verse 3, Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. So here in verse 3, in a world full of corruption, here we are introduced to one named Daniel, and he had exceptional qualities. Older versions would render these exceptional qualities as an ex excellent spirit that was in him, meaning Daniel was excellent. He was righteous. He was a good leader. And what I love about Daniel in terms of his leadership and his excellency, it was because of his conviction and character in God. It wasn't necessarily because he was the most attractive. It wasn't necessarily because he was the most educated. It wasn't because he might have been the most wealthy. 
But in verse 4, it tells us that in terms of his character, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel's excellency stemmed from his conviction and his character, not competency, which differs from today. Today is all about competency, and it's all about what we do and what we get done. It goes way beyond the notion of conviction and character. Today, excellency is pending upon retweets and followers and having your own startup and having a loaded 401k. We often find excellency in our blue checks of life and overlook what is most important, conviction-based character. So when you look at the life of Daniel, we see that Daniel was not shaped by Babylonian values where corruption was widespread, but it was his God-centered values that shaped his work. But he never withdrew from Babylonian culture. In fact, he would serve Babylon for an estimated 70 years. In other words, Daniel was in his culture, but not of his culture. What does that tell us today? It tells us that either in the work field or let it be on your campus, there, is, there needs to be a conviction. There is a call to be excellent in what we do, but at the same time, there is a call to be very relevant. If I can say it this way, we are to exemplify godly character to magnify God's brilliance. Character is always above competency, but character is always an indicator of one's conviction. If you are a believer in this room today, the question I have for you and the question I have for us is who convicts you? Is God the source of your character? Or is the fear of man the drive of your talents and your gifts? But we, we see in Daniel, what we see in light of his conviction, his character, his excellency, is that in a world that does not necessarily value character, it often leads to difficulty. And this leads us to the second point, the persecution of Daniel. See, beside, regardless of how excellent he was, we would see that he would face persecution. Look at verse 4. The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct over government affairs, but they were unable to do so. What's happening? See, the satraps, they aren't happy with what's going on. Daniel is too good. He's too excellent. He's too righteous. And he's in this high position. And because of all of this, these satraps, these administrators, they are not very happy. There was clear hatred against this righteous man. Look at verse 13. It's actually an indicator for us. He, they say that Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. See, one commentator will note the significance of this. Hear his words. 
When Daniel's enemies brought the charge against him before the king, they called him Daniel, the exile from Judah, meaning it was an insult, a slur, after all these years of living in Babylon. He was still essentially foreign and therefore untrustworthy. Here we begin to see the power of sin at work. See, no matter how excellent Daniel was, no, much, uh, no matter how much integrity he has shown, the governors and these administrators did not want him around because he was still considered a foreigner. He was still considered an alien. Daniel was a threat to the Babylonian Empire because of his identity as an exile from Judah, meaning Daniel was persecuted because of his identity with God and the very people of God. And these governors, these administrators, the satraps, they would devise a plan to remove Daniel even to the point of death. Verse 7, they have agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who pays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, should be thrown into the lion's den. See, Daniel's enemies knew that in order to bring Daniel down, they would have to devise a plan that would go against Daniel's very value, his conviction. So what they would do is that they would create a clash between the law of God and the law of the state. They created this law that stated, if anyone prays or worships anyone besides Darius, that person would be thrown into the lion's den. Now that does sound extreme, but what's interesting is that there are many parallels between the Babylonian culture and our culture today. See, uh, to set this context, the Israelites, they lived in what you would call a spiritually pluralistic society, uh, meaning that this culture was primarily and dom mostly dominant by pagan culture. And in the same way, if you look at our society today, because many have grown complacent of the church, there's been a move to different religions, different gods, different ideologies and idolatries. And in plurality, in, in terms of our society today, the Christian is constantly living a life where you are being challenged by worldly values. And whenever your godly value goes against the dominant value of society, it feels a little bit like persecution. Now, if I could say this, when I say persecution, uh, it's not like what uh, many may assume when we think about what's going outside of uh, 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 the westernized uh, part of this world. But nonetheless, we have probably experienced it or seen it in some shape or form. You know, on your college campuses, I know we have a lot of college folk coming in and kind of face the next four years of this brand new world. 
I promise you, I will tr trust me when I tell you that you will constantly be challenged by your values centered in the gospel, by values that are shaped by our society. It will challenge your faith. It will make you question your value. In some ways, it will feel like persecution. If you think about the work context, how many times, uh, you, maybe if you personally or someone that you know, you've been overlooked because, uh, through the success ladder because you weren't willing to kind of reduce yourself to unethical work practices. I mean, even in the church, Christians today are being persecuted from other Christians for being too vocal uh, about standing against the violent acts of racism in Charlottesville, Virginia. I mean, we're seeing this sense of persecution all throughout. You will constantly be challenged about your Christian values against the values of society. You are uh, uh, just uh, one figure in a dominant culture. It's persecution. But if I could be honest with you guys, I'm not even at this level of persecution. See, I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, I'm often not even at this place. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I know that I'm so driven by my fear of being accepted, approved by my members of the church and maybe some of my coworkers and dear friends. I live in such a fear-based uh, 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 um, circumstances that I find myself often being a persecutor and not being persecuted. Let uh, the fear of man not dictate and how we are navigated in life, but let it be the fear of God that allow us to be confident, bold, assured through the circumstances. So the question becomes for us, how do we respond to such persecution against us? How do you respond when you see such per persecution against your friends? How do you respond when you see persecution against the oppressed? How do you respond when you see persecution against the marginalized? Well, look at Daniel. We see Daniel responding to the persecution of him and his people, and it leads us to the third point, the prayer of Daniel. Now here, the narrative, it shifts from the courts of Darius to the house of Daniel. And after hearing of the king's decree to forbid prayer towards anything or anyone but the king himself, what does Daniel do? Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. What do we see starting from verse 10? That Daniel, he does not pray to Darius, but he prays to the God of Israel. He doesn't pray to the king of Babylon, but he prays to the king of Jerusalem. He doesn't pray to the king of men, but he prays to the king of all kings. And if you look at verse 10, you look at the detail. 
He doesn't go to this secret inner chamber of his house. He went to the most visible room with the open windows. He went upstairs to the one that faced Jerusalem and not the palace in Babylon. See, what's interesting is that as he prays towards Jerusalem with open hands, arms wide open, is that it is this very prayer, is that it's in this very disposition of faith. Daniel would have caught by these governors, and because of it, he would receive persecution in its full form. See, this prayer shows Daniel's faithfulness through the persecution. And he was faithful, yet excellent, yet seeking of the Lord. And these governors, they hated this. Look at verse 16. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. See, what I love about Daniel's prayer is that Daniel's prayer actually didn't save him. In fact, it's because of his prayer that led him to the lion's den. What does this tell us? The purpose of prayer is not to remove trial. The purpose of prayer is to renew trust. And centuries later, we will find this again. We will find a similar figure in a similar circumstance, but I would argue in a higher regard. See, centuries later, you fast forward a little bit in the Garden of Gethsemane, there would be one that prayed three times just like Daniel. And just like Daniel, he would pray because of the heaviness of injustice. And just like Daniel, it was his prayer that delivered him into the hands of sinners. Matthew 26, verse 43, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look. The hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, was also unjustly accused from government officials. Just like Daniel, he was completely abandoned, even though he was blameless. Just like Daniel, he would be brought into a type of lion's den. But this lion's den did not consist of the roar of lions, but the violence of man. Jesus Christ would face the ultimate trial. He would go through the ultimate punishment, and he would witness and face the ultimate persecution. But what is the difference between Daniel and Jesus? See, that salvation does not come from Daniel. Because, see, the price of salvation, it required life. And Daniel's life would be spared in the lion's den. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, would not be spared. He would experience the worst persecution. He would experience the ultimate lion's den. We see it 
on the cross. And what do we see on the cross? That Jesus on the cross, he recites Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But when we look at Psalm 22 and we hear his words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In verse 13 of Psalm 22, it latter tells us that roaring lions that tear their prey upon their mouths wide against me. Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of roaring lions so we can faithfully live in his amazing grace that because of Christ alone and in grace alone and faith alone, he offered a rescue plan. And in this rescue plan, we are into the hands of salvation. So whenever you are feeling the weight of the world, the burden of sin, and the heaviness of injustice. May you come in a disposition of prayer connected to the God who saved you. In your union with him, may you then begin to live a life of peace in light of persecution. And that is our final point for this morning, the peace of Daniel. Look at verse 18 with me. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Looking at verse 18, we begin to see two different lives unfolding. In verse 18, we see Darius, this king. And as a king, he was treated with royalty. In light of royalty, he would have the best food, the greatest entertainment, and the luxury of a palace. But what does verse 18 tell us? It says that he could not sleep. On the other hand, you look at the life of Daniel. Daniel was in exile. He was in a dangerous world filled with persecution. He was confronted with lions. He was confronted with death. But nonetheless, he lived a life of peace. Now the question is, why the stark contrast? Why is Darius, who had everything in his hands, live in so much anxiety? While Daniel, he had nothing left for dead, had so much peace. Verse 20 tells us, Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. See, in the same way, when we feel like we are in the lion's den, know that God sent us someone as well. And it was far greater than an angel. As John declares in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, see the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. Yes, we are in a den of lions, but know that you are saved and you are in the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. Our peace comes from the one who triumphed. The lion of Judah rules over all of our lives. If I can say it this way, true peace does not come from worldly possession, but it comes from God's 
presence. Listen, if you are someone that is constantly anxious because all you are witnessing is persecution and life and around the world, let the culmination of peace in Christ be your blessed assurance. May it be your everlasting hope. Find him in prayer, in submission, as Daniel did, so you can trust him and know him more. I mean, I, you know, the past few weeks, when I see what's going on in my life and maybe it's the friends that are around me and the city of Philadelphia and just all around the world, I mean, sometimes I don't know what to do. Sometimes I do feel helpless. Sometimes I pray, God, you could take me right now because I am really lost. But it's by God's grace that in that lostness, he brings me, he brings us to a disposition of prayer and faithfulness that we can come to him in peace in light of all of the persecution that is within you and all of the persecution that surrounds you. May Jesus Christ, the beautiful lamb, the lion of Judah, be the source of your everlasting peace in any persecution or in any trial. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 declares, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I will close with verse 23 and 24, and I will be out your way this morning. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Just as Daniel received the fullness of restoration and joy with no enemies around, there will also be a day for us. May the glimpses of heaven be the hope for us, and may it be the hope of our city. For as beautiful as our city may be, there will be a greater city to reside in, and there will be no roaring lions, but only the Lion of Judah, and his name is Jesus Christ. Will you believe in that? Will you trust in him? Will you come to notice peace in light of persecution? Will you join me in prayer this morning?